This is episode 72 of Fatalists, a podcast devoted to the Supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. My name is Dave, and I'm joined in the studio again by Wayne. How you doing? Howdy, neighbor. What's going on, Dave? Oh, I'm uh, TV problems. Another big storm came through, knocked out my TV. Fortunately, not it was my internet a couple weeks ago. TV this time is unfathomable issues. I can't believe it. I, I don't. I, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Well, I'm just glad. Just offering again, my sympathy. Hey, we have power and we have the internet. So right. I'd rather, yeah. yeah, rather have the internet than not. So uh, anyway, good to be back, and we're going to talk about. Birds of Prey again, but we're going to also do things a little bit differently. We're going to start talking about some of the genre shows we're watching on a weekly basis. So we may not talk about the same shows each week, but we will be spoiling. So we'll be hitting some of the major plot points. So tonight uh, we're going to be talking about Falling Skies, Defiance, Under the Dome, The Leftovers, and Penny Dreadful. And uh, one of those... Maybe dreadful. one of these shows is not like the other. One yeah. of these shows does not belong. No. So uh, anyway, uh, and we'll see how it goes. And we're obviously going to have the bulk of the discussion on Birds of Prey, but we'll eventually get there. What about you? Any uh, any big changes? Nope, not really. Huh? Just uh, shipped uh, three of the four kids off to camp, so we got the youngest at home, which I found is. Like more difficult than having four kids at home because now I am not only parent, but I am playmate. Ah, so, but uh, otherwise, no. Yeah, so well, you're not wishing so you were at work though. Not so far, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. All right. Well, listen. Well, when we do a little bit of sci-fi news, and you know, as I mentioned to you before we went on the air, for a show that's one of the two most successful scripted dramas for the Showcase Network and Shaw Media in Canada. You'd think you could find some information out about Lost Girl, but it's really been parsed out in little, little chunks. But we do have the Lost Girl Season 4 DVD and Blu-ray sets available in both the U.S. and Canada and, and the U.K. And just for the listeners, Amazon U.S. right now has some great deals on seasons one to three. Season one I saw was $20.79, so uh, you know I already have it, but if you don't, that's a good place to start. Uh, you know, I think most people know filming on season five is well underway. It actually began April 9th in Toronto, uh, but also some people may have forgotten that Michael Grassi is now going to be the showrunner for season five. Emily Andrus has moved to executive consulting producer, whatever the heck that is. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, I guess she's probably on the set. And uh, uh, Michael, you might want to, you know, have them do this that way. Um, we don't have a start date other than fall 2014, but what it matters, season four debuted on November 10th of last year. In keeping with the Shaw Media Showcase original scripted drama theme, Continuum Season 3 finale drew just over a million viewers, 350,000 in the 18 to 49 demographic, and the viewership went up each week for the final five weeks, which is good news for a show that most of us still can't believe hasn't been renewed yet, but I think that's a foregone conclusion. Now, Georgina Haig is going to be joining the cast of Once Upon a Time as Elsa, the Snow Queen in Disney's 2013 animated hit Frozen. No, they're not wasting any time jumping on that ship, huh? And why do we know Georgina Haig? Um, did she used to play for the Bears? She did not. She played Henrietta, Etta Bishop, 
in season five of Fringe. Oh, yes. Yeah, so right, she's okay. going to be in Once Upon a Time. Nice. Yeah. She was awesome. What a great character. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, lastly, and a little bit more depth, it's been a long wait, but sci-fi fans across the U.S. will finally have a chance to see Snowpiercer this weekend. Starting July 4th, the film's going to be playing across the country in 150-plus theaters in a number of states. And to find a showing near you, you can go to the website. Uh, Snowpiercer did open to limited release in five U.S. cities on June 27th, 2014. Now, director Bong Joon-ho spent the past year negotiating with the Weinstein Company over the final cut of Snowpiercer and eventually landed on a compromise that Bong will have final cut for a limited release instead of a nationwide opening. Now, the past few weeks of showings in New York and California, uh, not to mention the numerous positive reviews and buzz, has shown that the distributor, there's definitely an audience for this unique sci-fi flick. All right, film 2013 U.S.-South Korean science fiction film based on a French graphic novel by Jacques Loeb, Benjamin Legrand, and Jean-Marc Rochette. In 2014, an oh, French listers right now are yes. just going like. All right. In 2014, an experiment to counteract global warming causes an ice age that nearly kills all life on Earth. Oh, this is like the cl- like different classes, right? The and only like, survivors. Up. The only survivors yeah. are the inhabitants of the Snowpiercer, a massive train powered by a perpetual motion engine that travels on a globe-spanning track. A class system is installed with the elites inhabiting the front of the train and the poor inhabiting the tail. In 2031, the tail inhabitants prepare for the latest in a series of rebellions. Guards arrive periodically to deliver protein blocks for food and take some of the children. During the guards' next visit, Chris Evans, who stars as, Chris the, Evans, pro- that was stars as the protagonist, Curtis Everett, who leads the tail inhabitants in revolt, forcing their way through several train cars to the prison section. They release a prisoner who's the man that built the doors dividing each car, and they basically give him this addictive drug as payment for unlocking the remaining doors. All right, obviously the latest in a line of post-apocalyptic class warfare films that critics are calling the best, but coming on the heels of ultra-liberal Matt Damon's Elysium, that may not be saying much. Still, I'm looking forward to it. It sounds really cool. Elysium, yeah, it does sound good. I've tried it a few times. Have you seen it? I still have not watched it now. I mean, I I, I want to see the whole thing, but I don't know. You know, it, you it, it's yeah. one of these things that and I read an article about Tom Cruise the other day and the, that his star power is fading very fast. And Matt Damon's kind of like that for me. This is, I just don't like him. So to to watch a movie that he's in, has got, you know, there's got to be more. And But well, see, I, like, I'm, I, I like Matt Damon a lot. So, I mean, I don't, not that I've ever met him, you know, but I like his work very much. But, I, you know, I'm just like still watching Breaking Bad. So I, I can't, I don't, right now, I don't even have time for movies. All right. Well, we're not going to be talking about Breaking Bad tonight in our genre show well, quick takes. Well, we might mention it. No, we're not. All right. <laughs> All right. You'll All right. see. You'll see, All tough right. guy. Just wait. All right. So uh, the idea here is we're going to talk about five minutes or so on each of these shows and we are going to spoil. So if you haven't seen them yet, or eh, if you don't care, then whatever. All right. So Wayne, you're going to start us off with falling skies. I am going to start us off as soon as I scroll down to it. Okay. So, um, I did not get to do a rewatch of the previous three seasons, right? This season four, right? Three seasons of, uh, falling sky. And so I knew there was going to be issues there. 
as I started watching because I'm like, I really don't remember that well what was going on. I remember humans were fighting aliens. No, Wiley was in it. Um, the girl who was in Journeyman. Ah, see, I can't remember yeah. the name now, but everything. So, but they actually did a very good job of kind of reminding you of some of the salient plot points without beating it over your head sure. and without the voiceover narration. Here's what's happened last, you know, and everything. So, was, I thought they did a nice job of that. Um, like the one character, Maggie, uh, they just mentioned offhand that, you know, how she had survived cancer. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. And, and that was even like backstory stuff. I mean, that wasn't like something that happened. Uh, in the actual events of the season, I think she, we had learned that about her that right. she had sure. had cancer before. So, but basically, uh, at the end of the last season, uh, the uh, humans had joined with the Volm to fight the Esfeni, and the Esfeni are the, the bad aliens, and the Volm are the good aliens. Um, but uh, then, you know, Tom had Mason had gone to meet with the. Uh, the Volm, and, and they're basically like, well, now, you know, really, you guys are just kind of like, you know, what we found out was that Earth is, instead of being the focal point, being the goal of this struggle right. or this whatever, that it's just a small corner of this larger intergalactic struggle, which, you know, Douglas Adams, I think, would love that, thinking as the, you know, the Earth is kind of very small and insignificant. We like to always think of ourselves as being extremely significant, but of course, in the larger sense of the entire universe, the Earth is just a little tiny speck and quite, uh, you know, without significance. Right, because it looks like the Volm has deserted Earth, right? Because they've got other problems elsewhere in the universe. Right, right. Right. So thank you for your brief alliance. Uh, We've got other things to do elsewhere, you know. Which is but we're going to leave six advisors. Right. <laughs> we'll leave some guys. I'll leave my son behind. How yeah, about that? Yeah. You know, which is, is kind of cool. But So right at the beginning of the first episode, because I have two episodes to talk about here, they are, have gone back to Charleston, and bam, all of a sudden, they're, they're, the group is under attack, and this crazy wall separates uh, Tom from daughter Lexi and Lexi's mom, who I didn't put her name down, I can't remember. But the uh, <laughs> the actress here who, yeah. who was in Journeyman, which I can't remember that either. But so you know, basically, the, they get separated. Half the family is on one side of the wall, the other half on the other. And it turns out that and there's all these like kind of like Nazi overtures, overtones now, right? It's like the people on the one side with Tom and Hal are on the one side and that's like this concentration camp kind right, of thing, right? right? Where the, the Esfeni like kind of drop food in and like Pope is hoarding the food and everything. I guess more like a ghetto. No, it turns out he's got like six cans or something. Right, he's trying to keep a, up his appearances. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which that was hilarious, which is yeah. great. I mean, that's why Pope is like this really fantastic kind of anti-hero guy, you know? Um, he's so unlikable. It's seemingly at one, at most, at many points, but then, you know, you just, Gosh darn, you just like the guy. Yeah, sure. And then the other side, then, uh, like, the Lexi, who is Tom's one-year-old daughter, uh, Ben finally finds his sister, and she is now, like, like, 18. She looks like she's 18, and she's kind of hot, actually. And and so we knew that she was, I mean, half alien, Mm -hmm. and that she was maturing at an accelerated pace. Um, And now it seems like her, you know, the... 
the, the human medical people are a little concerned about this and think that she might be actually dying, uh, which if you, you know, figure it out, like, well, yeah, I mean, she, she could potentially live her whole life in about, you know, sure. over the next couple months here. And so she is kind of in charge of this little kind of hippie community here that's like, it's all peaceful here. They're getting along with just the Esfeni. They're not bothered. They're, they let them live in peace, which at first sounds great, uh, of course, Ben is bothered by it because he's like, no, there's a war out there because, of course, he knows his dad, his brother. Right. And, and you know, we want to, I think, even associate the word cult with what it yeah. is because she does seem to be this religious leader of this group. But like you said, it's more it's 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 less about religion and more about about peace and living coexisting. Right. Which seems great until we see the dark underside of it, which is the little Hitler youth you know, brainwashing sessions that they have. And they, I mean, they're, they're making no pretense about it, right? Absolutely. They have the kids in uniforms. They look like Nazis. The guy leading the class is blonde hair. He walks with his hands behind his back. He looks like, you know, poster boy for, for the Nazi party. Um, yes, team leader. Yes, right, yeah. And, they're you know, they're trying to brainwash the children into, you know, accepting the Esfeni as cohabitators of the earth and everything. So I'm sure I'm, I'm, you know, kind of reaching, it's not going over my five minute limit here, but just, you know, I mean, what do you think, Dave? Like, or is the- well, the, the thing I liked a lot was that they, what was it like nine months later? So that, that they just came into season four, that all this time elapsed because obviously it took time to put together this little, you know, Hitler youth group and outfit them and, 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 you know, in, you know, send out the, uh, you know, the ideology that they're going to be imparting in the kids. But, but it's, you know, when you look at all of it together, I mean, that was, you know, you were, you, you, I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head where you've got, you know, the, uh, the prison camp, Jewish ghetto almost, you know, right. for, if you want to make the World War II illusions. And yeah, then, I say concentration camp, I change it. It's like, you're yeah. right. It's more like a, like a, yeah. Like a you know a Holocaust type ghetto thing, right? And then Tom, of course, is posing as this the ghost, the ghost who is uh, you know not really a vigilante, but but he he represents hope, yeah. you know, for the uh, people that symbol are symbol of resistance. Yes, exactly. So which is great because he's like he's breaking out of solitary confinement every night yeah. to go around as a ghost, and then he goes and puts himself back into solitary uh, the next day, which is really not solitary at all. The, the, it's funny, a really crappy idea of solitary confinement because it's like they have Weaver in the next room and there's actually holes in the wall that they can communicate and see each other and everything. So it's not really, not really isolated there. Right. But the, the one thing I did really like, I mean, there's a lot to like, and to be honest, I, I, I think it was really a strong, uh, opening of the season for falling skies is the oldest son was his name. Hal Hal, Yeah. That, that he has really assumed a leadership position. I don't want to say equal to his father, but he he's getting close and there, and, and there's kind of like this little struggle for power for the plan that they're going to, uh, to undertake to get out. Right. And finally he just has to tell his father, look, you got to trust me. Right. Okay. I not, know what not I'm, unlike the, his literary counterpart, right. And, uh, Prince Hal from Henry the Fourth. Oh, you know, like he's a kid who's now you know growing into becoming a leader, and the his dad having to accept him and everything. Okay. So I was always waiting for that because the minute I heard it, like Hal, that's like the first thing I think. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. you know, Prince right. Henry. 
Well, I think I think we both would agree that if we were doling out stars for falling skies on a five star basis, I mean, at least four. At least four. At least yeah. four. And, and you know, if you give five stars, I would never give five stars to any. Well, maybe Game of Thrones. Yeah. A couple episodes of Game of Thrones. I did give Emily a hard time for only giving Fahrenheit 451 four stars on her Goodreads, but... Wow. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. All right. Anyway, in keeping with the post-apocalyptic dystopia feel, I'm going to talk about Defiance, which airs Thursdays on sci-fi. And and I didn't realize, and I wish I had, but they released five mini-sodes on March 28th, 2014, that tied the two seasons together each was approximately five minutes in length and i'm going to put a link in the show notes if you want to go see those you know i would imagine they're considered canon but you certainly don't have to have seen them you know for the show to make sense all right really so, you are using the word canon i am already reference to defiance a- a- absolutely and, and it certainly isn't as strong as falling skies by any by any stretch but I, I was pretty pleased with what i saw in the first two episodes so the season two premiere the opposite of hallelujah june 19th 2014 and again nine months after the season one finale we've got Daytac in prison uh if you remember he murdered the e-rep official at the end of the season i'm not sure how he thought he was going to get away with that maybe he overestimated his power but doc yule is also in prison with him and they're working together. She's got a plan to escape. So we've got that going on. Uh, we're introduced to the new mayor, Pottinger, who is the E-Rep in power of Defiance. Uh, and meanwhile, this you know, I guess in the nine months in between, Nolan's been searching for Arissa, who, remember, had fled after the whatever that stuff was that came out of her chest on that opera, uh, operating table. But anyway, he finds her in Hollywood, which is now called Angel Arc, and we find out that she basically has sold her soul to bring Nolan back to life. Because remember, he got shot point blank. He was dead. And, and you know, I know I'm when's dead, dead, and all that. But yeah. anyway, so she basically sold her soul. She is now this, this other being's weapon, is, is the way it's described. All right, so with Daytac in prison... Alec is in power over the family business, and you know that's not going to sit too well because he's, hell, he's a DJ. He wants to play guitar, right? you know, and he's got a hot wife. And his mother, who, again, one of the most interesting characters, I think, in all of TV, uh, genre TV, Stama, who, you know, she she's that whole deferential woman that you see in a lot of foreign countries certainly american women are not like this but but you know they're where they're deferential and then you know the moment you let your guard down she stabs you in the back and probably cuts a few organs out as well she makes it clear to him that he doesn't have what it takes to run the family business she's going to be in charge despite the fact that in her culture men don't listen to women and we find out that they're going to listen to her because if not, they're going to lose body parts. Uh, the other interesting thing was Kenya is not running the need want. Former mayor Amanda Rosewater is running it and eventually gives in to becoming the advisor to the E-Rep mayor. And we're not sure what that's all about, but Rafe is running the mines, but he's actually running the mine. He's actually working the mines, and and you know he's plotting to regain power, and, and we do find out. And we also find out that there's a new Chicago, uh, so coupled with the Angel Arc, which is was Hollywood, you know, we're starting to hear about other cities springing up. All right, 
So in the second episode in My Secret Life, June 26, Nolan and Arissa return to Defiance, and you mentioned the wall in uh, Falling Skies. The stasis wall has been repaired and is now protecting or keeping out probably more than anything. Uh, we're introduced to a female E-Rep officer, Berlin, kind of hot. You saw the show, right? I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, you haven't no. seen it. Okay. No, no. I, I got uh, it on the DVR, so. You know, she's really an interesting character. I mean, she really is attractive, but she's really young, and she she's I'm sure she's not as young as she looks. But she arrests Arissa at the gate after a minor incident. We see Stama wants Daytac in prison, right? It's, it's almost as if she's given a chance to get him out early, and you realize she doesn't want him out early because if he's out, then she's not in charge. Uh, then there's a terrorist explosion in the market, so we find out there, there's a uh, you know a, a rebel group that's trying to stir things up. You know, we see Rise Up written in Casty in the mines. Rafe explains to Nolan that the E-Rep won't be thrown out without bloodshed. So we're starting to see the seeds of rebellion, and you kind of know that's where we're going. You know, at some point. There's going to be a rebellion against the E-Rep. The mayor asks Doc Yule about the safe in her office, and she plays dumb. So, we're, you know, we've got that mystery going on. Um, Daytech concocts a plan for a man to kill the mayor, the, the male mayor. And the mayor, we find out, is he's pretty clever on his own, and, and he puts a stop to that. And let's see what else we want to talk about. Oh, eventually, you know, we go through all of this, and it becomes pretty clear that Nolan is really good at what he does. And, you know, the, the, the E-Rep, you know, they're in power and they want to keep things calm. They want to keep things safe. And, and they even make the point that, look, you know, that, that we provide a safe haven for these citizens and they like that. And Amanda convinces the new mayor that, look, you know, you need a law keeper. Nolan's your guy. And, and of course, he takes the badge. And then in the final scene, we see Nolan in bed with Amanda while the mayor is watching via hidden cam. Oh, the cheeky monkey. Yeah. And then Arissa goes looking for Tommy, but sees him kissing Berlin. So uh, a lot leading up to season three. Now, it no, it's not as good as Falling Skies, but I was pleasantly surprised. I'm definitely going to keep watching. And in terms of the stars, I'd certainly give it three stars. All right. So what do you want to talk about next? Under the Dome? Why don't you get that out of the way? Yeah, let's let's go Under the Dome here. So Under the Dome, I watched it last year. There was nothing else on. The pilot was really good. Kind of pulled me in. Uh, The remaining, what, 12 episodes, not so much. And yeah, trying to put my finger on what were the, I, I saw as the major problems of Under the Dome, I'm not really sure I, I can put my finger on it per se, um, except that I just find myself, whenever I'm watching it, desperately hoping for the end to come quickly. Well, you know, I just didn't like any of the characters. I didn't like any of the actors, and I didn't like any of the characters. That might be the problem. And I, I would I would tend to agree with you. And also, I think because there's so many characters that they don't really develop a lot of them. Now, I will say this: the one guy, and here's where where I'm going to sneak in some Breaking Bad, is Dean Norris, who's Big Jim in Under the Dome, right? Okay. I think he's really he's great as being like the a hole, like the really the bad guy, the jerk, just the overall guy. You just I don't even know if you love to hate him, you just hate him right but he's very effective 
So much so that when I started watching Breaking Bad, it probably took me at least a season and a half before I figured out that Hank is actually a good guy. You know, it's like, wait a second, you know, because he was so, I'm so used to seeing Dean Norris as this, again, like, because I'm going at it backwards from, the, you know, from Under the Dome to Breaking Bad rather than the other way around. So it really took me a long time before I, I started to see Hank as a good guy, just because he is such, doing such a good job as being a bad guy here. Um, but, you know, yeah, we, we ended last season, Barbie was about to be hanged, and there's all this stuff going on, wall, butterflies, all kinds of crazy stuff. And they pick up right from there, uh, this huge deuce ex machina comes, and, you know, like, like, here's like an example. Okay, this guy's about to be hanged. The whole town, basically, has come out to en masse to watch this guy get hanged. They're all like, you know, do it, kill him, kill him, kill him, you know? And then this crazy stuff happens and everything, and Barbie just turns to Big Jim and is like, let me help you. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know? And like that, like, all right, we're not going to kill you anymore. You can get to come help. And then like, like there's actually, he, he runs into this other lady and she's like, weren't we just about to hang you? And he's like, yeah, but you know, it's all good. And she's like, okay. You know, it's just like, what? Yeah. yeah. It's just like, so that's when I had, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. No more under the dome for me, dude. If you want to keep watching it, you, you can go ahead. But I'm just, you know, I just. Uh. One star. I'll give it one star for for Dean Norris. Okay, yeah. and, and one star for a genre show, which because of genre, maybe so. two. I'll give it an extra. All right, all right. so what? Uh, so so instead of Under the Dome, let's talk about another now a show that I feel could I, I don't think it will, but could fall into the same trappings of ridiculousness that Under the Dome has is The Leftovers. Okay, because there are certain some very silly things that happen here as in when kevin garvey who's the the guy the the the, the here at the, the kind of the center of this whole thing uh actually asks a deer are you the one that tore up my kitchen last night like he did that he he <laughs> He well, asked the deer. now I know people who have probably read the novel. Like I haven't read the novel, but I know that like this novel, I know it's very popular. So people who read the novel probably think I'm sounding like an idiot right now because of course he would ask the deer. Why would he? And granted, there was something kind of like the the deer looked like it, it might be expressing some kind of intelligence, right? And yes, we know absolutely. the deer was following him around. There well, and he him. saw the deer in the one scene, and then when he looked back, the deer was gone. Right. Right. Exactly. Which is was about 15 minutes in. Remember, Damon Lindelof said that something weird is going to happen every 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And I was actually checking. It was like, actually, for this episode, it was like 15 minutes. I think right. it was and like for five Lo weird things. Right. For Lost fans, you just mentioned, you know, th this is a Damon Lindelof creation. It appears on HBO, and it's going to run for 10 episodes. Oh, this is going to be 10 episodes? Oh, yes. right, because HBO, they always yeah. do 10, yeah. So, which I think is like, that's, I mean, it really works for HBO. It really works for Falling Skies. It's a good format. Um, you just, you know, you have like these long stretches where people are like, oh man, I want the show back and everything. So, uh, so let's start off with Kevin Garvey, uh, played by Justin Theroux and he's kind of a stereotypical type character. He's the cop, got a drinking problem, family's messed up, I, but I really like how they did because we got information piecemeal about him. Now we know that, well, okay, let's get it out of the premise of this is that on this one day, October 14th. Um, two percent of the world's population just vanished. Right. We don't. We don't know what happened. And I like how they're in the meeting, and the the one guy says, "I don't think it should be called Heroes Day. These people weren't heroes." The one guy, he was my brother-in-law. He was a jerk. And then the, the mayor says, "Well, we we can't call call it you know 
we don't know what the fuck happened day. Right. Yeah, like, right. So, so this thing happened and no one knows why it happened. No one, everyone's obviously trying to ascribe some kind of meaning to it, except for these, this, this weird cult, uh, called the oh, guilty remnant. Right. Yeah. And they wear all white, which, and, and so, and then they, they show up at this parade the town is having to uh, commemorate the third anniversary of, of what they call Hero Day. And much like the, the group that, you know, obviously they're making comparisons to the, the group of people that show up at the um, funerals and the uh, funerals of, right. of soldiers, right? right? Sure. There's obviously not a lot of support for the, the jihar. Right. You know, because of what we think they are pretty extreme and they don't speak. So we don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, they follow people around. They start following Liv Tyler around. Right. Her character, who's about to get married, though she doesn't seem like she's too psyched about the idea of getting married. Right. But like you said, we don't know why they're following her. We don't. Right. right. Yeah. And there's one at one point seems like they're following Kevin. Right. But we only see him the one time. So yeah. it's just really weird. So anyway, back to the how they information gets pieced out a little bit because with i don't know if there's i thought it was brilliant how they did this so we learned earlier this kid tom who's taking a congressman to see this guy wayne and who's like some kind of again another cult hero which right. it, when something like this happens it's not really surprising that there's a bunch of cults pop up right, right. we learned early on that tom is kevin's son soon after that kevin comes home he sees a picture of four people on his wall and he shoves his elbow through it so we right. don't get to see who the people are right. in the picture. But we know there's four people. So we right. assume, okay, well, his wife and whoever else. That daughter, well, we know he's got a daughter that he lives with. Well, we, I don't, we didn't at the time, though. Oh, okay. So that's the thing. That's how a little bit at a time. Right. He sees the picture first. And so we assume Up until the, the very wife end, and the daughter we... have been taken, right? We right. know the son because he calls him the cell phone. We, so we think the wife and the daughter get taken. And then, so seriously, if you haven't watched it yet, turn off your iPod right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, because then the, the daughter, who up to then we'd seen getting in a fight in field hockey practice, the girls weren't wearing goggles, so that was inaccurate. Uh, well, they may, maybe in their state they don't wear them. No, it's, I think All it's, states, I think everywhere, yeah, field okay. hockey now, you, if, according to uh, U.S. field hockey, you have to wear glasses and okay. uh, goggles, I'm pretty sure. So They did uh, have mouthpieces, though. Did they? I think so. Oh, okay. But anyway. So, and then, then she's like smoking pot. And then after that, she calls her dad to say, you know, I'm going out. And we realize now this is his daughter. So wait, okay. The daughter hasn't been taken. Right. And at the very end, the, the one cult member of the GR who's the, been following around, we learn that that's his wife. Right. So this family is completely messed up. Right. But none of them got taken. Correct. You know? So what? It, it maybe we do know dogs have escaped, right? So, but they they haven't been taken. Just the dogs have gone crazy. Um, but but you know, the, so it begs the question: What the hell? Right. Right now, obviously, Kevin seems like he's got a little bit of a drinking problem. Um, he has that flashback when the the lady asks him, "What were you doing when the departure came?" And he has pictures himself having sex, and we right. just only assume that it's not his wife right. that he's having sex with. So, this could be just. This family just got messed up because they're a messed up family, like normal everyday American sure. messed up stuff, rather than some kind of supernatural forces at work here, though we don't know. And the, the show definitely plays off of, especially the, the first episode, basically leaves us in the dark. And you know, I assume they're probably going to you know give us things, and it did. You know, it gave us at the end that that lady was his wife and everything. But that just actually led to more questions rather than well, right? And, and I mean, the fundamental question, you know, on the one hand what the hell happened 
But on the other hand, it, you know, it's really about how these people are coming to terms with what happened. And like you mentioned, trying to find meaning in what happened and meaning in, in their lives now as they are. And, and that, uh, you know, I think to a certain extent, why me, why was I spared? Right. Which is what, you know, Christopher Eccleston's character is, you know, big, he's like the crazy kind of street preacher guy. Now I just assume they have more of a role for him because you don't pull Christopher Eccleston into this project right. and give him like not even a minute of screen time. Sure. Right. So, and still, you know, he's like this guy who seems like he's a little kind of on the fringes here, but he's basically saying that that thing, like, why have these people been taken? Right. You know, this guy, this lady beat her children. Why was she taken? So, you know, obviously because people think of it as some kind of rapture where, you know, oh, here's the, I don't even know what people believe is the, how what percentage of people get will get taken when the second coming comes, but it's like the, the, the good 1%, right? It begs me, most people probably say like, there's probably not much point in even striving for that. Like I've never been the one, the first, no, the no. 99th percentile in anything. Like I'm not going to make it. So yeah. Well, I was, but probably not in anything that's going to get me. Yeah. I, I was looking at the 99th percentile of, of, you know, children my mom loved until my sister was born. Then yeah. I dropped down to the 50th, just like that. So, yeah. you know, that, that, that level of mediocrity has followed me my entire life, I believe. But anyway, um, so, I mean, the point is, I, I think the GR is basically a kind of, they seem like a nihilistic group, right? Yeah. Like, it's, the end is nigh, maybe, or whatever, like, they smoke, is why not, you know, like, just, I mean, it's crazy that they all smoke, I mean, some of these people might think, I don't like smoking, but they all smoke, you know, right. like, um, so it's just, uh, there's a lot, a lot of weird stuff going on here, I, I, like so, we see this woman in the very beginning with the laundromat, and I said when we had talked about this earlier, I, there's something that happened with the baby. I thought they killed the baby. They didn't kill it. The, the, the baby, baby was taken, right? Yeah. Which is definitely a very difficult scene to watch, anyway. You know, because like the baby's in the back making noise. All of a sudden, the noise stops, and, and the baby's gone, and everything. And, and you know, even though I knew what the show's premise was, that scene just was—I mean, aside from being riveting, it was just really emotional. Like you said, it's really difficult to watch. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very difficult to watch. Absolutely. Um, so, but that lady, like, she, she's not even in the the cast listing. I don't think you know, like she she shows up later. Well, she's in the bar, right? Yeah, in yeah. the bar, right? Yeah. Kevin talks. Yeah, Kevin talks to her later in the bar, and and she lies too about. Well, no, she tells the truth, but she doesn't tell. Does she not tell the whole truth? No, I don't think she tells the whole truth. Right, right. But, uh, see, he, you know, foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I was trying to find out who she was, and you know, I didn't want to look too much because you start seeing IMDb, see how, how many, many episodes, episodes are right? In so yeah. I didn't want to look too much. But I had difficulty, like Wikipedia. I don't think has her listed in the main cast at all, and it seems like she's a at least somewhat significant character as she was in the very first scene and they sh showed up in the scene later as well well yeah i, I think we're going to see her again i mean we wouldn't have seen her in the bar exactly right right um so the last thing i want to talk about just very quickly is because we have besides damon lindelof because did damon lindelof no he just worked on lost he didn't work on fringe right correct he did okay. not um but there is a fringe kind of um tie in here the guy who's going around shooting dogs which again like you see, like or what do you? What are like two things you never do in TV or movies? Right? You don't kill babies. You don't kill dogs. And they kind of basically do both. Yeah. In this one, um, you know, like 
you know, Kevin's jogging. He sees the dog. He's like, hey, boy. And all of a sudden, as he's about to pay, bam, <laughs> you know, the dog gets shot through the head. As we discover, it turns out that these dogs, when we see the dogs attack the deer that Kevin was just talking to, that seems to show some kind of intelligence. Um, the guy's like, you know, these are not our dogs. And then Kevin says something like, am I dreaming or am I awake or something like right. that before joining the guy and shooting all the dogs. And right. Well, that dude is Michael Gaston, which you might remember from the first season of Fringe. He was Agent Sanford Harris. The guy oh, who, he's, oh, he's, yes. Oh, yes, he was yes. bad. Right, right. So he's like another one of these guys who's really good at playing He tried to bring Olivia down. Right. Well, he had, and she had, uh, you know, accused him of, of uh, like sexual misconduct, right, right. When they, when they were in the military or something, I think um, was that. Uh, it was either I can't remember if it was in the military. It was just when they're from okay from before the FBI, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was just a, a really reprehensible character. So he we, exploded, didn't he, or something? He was in a room. And, yeah, and yeah, something, yeah, yeah, something yeah, yeah, bad right, happened. Right, right, yeah. Right. So um, so anyway, so yeah. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I, I I thought it was great. I mean, I thought they, you know, again the the characters, and, and again, I mean, look, we know Christopher Eccleston, but like you said, he wasn't really in it that much. So the the primary actors uh, outside of Liv Tyler, most of them we, I, I mean, we've seen a lot of them, but we don't, you know, Amy yeah, like, Brennigan, right, who who plays his wife, who's now you know, the cult member. She was member. on like NYP. Blue yeah, or something but like but that, I think. but like, I just you know the 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 personal dynamics that they set up you know like you mentioned just with garvey's family you know where you know he's the police chief in this town trying to keep order amidst chaos his his son is a driver for uh, what's the guy's name wayne wayne yeah uh who, what's the guy's name really? yeah i'm sorry <laughs> um you know then the daughter is just basically just you know she's trying to keep it together and and you know while she's involved with school she plays field hockey and and you know and all that but but then you know and apparently smoking pot's not that big a deal in, well in, when you put point. it in comparison with what else she's doing when she goes to that party yeah like um, yeah the smoking pot seems like extremely tame yes um yeah like yeah. all right that thing I, with the iphone i mean is that is that really a thing when like they spin know. the iPhone and it points to someone yeah, and it where, says where, where like, was where was this stuff when I was in college? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it says like you know the f word, but, or uh, it uh, like says yeah, choke. So yeah. she goes in, she takes the guy back to the room and yeah. chokes him while he masturbates. It's like, yeah. is if that's a thing, my children are are not leaving the house. Yeah, They're definitely sure. not going to parties ever. All right. So how many stars were you doing? Four or five? Uh, let's say five. I mean, I give it five. I mean, I really would. I know. I, I for a pilot. That I mean, there's no way I'm not watching the second episode. Absolutely, watching the second episode, no question about it. I'm going to give it a four and a half. Okay, basically because the one thing that doesn't really happen very well necessarily is I don't think they have awesome character development. I think we see great character development with Kevin, and I think it kind of stops there. Right, but it's only one episode. Exactly. So right. that's I mean, why I think I'm not, they set up enough storylines that. Uh, so, all right. Well, anyway, that's on HBO, and uh, that was the first episode. So we'll we'll definitely be talking about that no next question. time. I'm no sure. Question about it. All right. Now, lastly, I'm going to talk about Penny Dreadful, which has appeared on Showtime, and in fact, it's an eight episode season, which just ended. And you know, I'm going to talk about the first two episodes. So we'll we'll see. I'll probably talk about more as we go along, but um, it's uh, premiere episode 
Night Work appeared on May 11th, 2014. And episode opens Victorian England in 1891. And while there's no real evidence of steampunk elements, and I'm a huge steampunk fan, you know, I think most genre fans are going to be drawn to this, you know, Victorian setting. Uh, we learn about the brutal abduction of a woman and her daughter who are later found mutilated and dismembered. Uh, we're introduced to Vanessa Ives, played by Eva Green, and and I'm, I'm in love with Eva Green. Uh, you may know her as Morgan in Camelot. She was in Casino Royale, 300, Rise of an Empire. She's awesome. She enlists this skilled marksman slash con man named Ethan Chandler, uh, who's played by Josh Hartnett, who I ordinarily don't like, but I really like him in this. Yeah, he's kind of like a Brad Pitt wannabe, but uh, like he, not not so much in this one. He was like, yeah, but I like him. But but she hires him to do some night work, as she calls it. She finds him. He's the star of this Wild West sideshow that's playing to English citizens, and and you know he's you know riding a horse, and he, and he really is good with a gun. There's no question about that. Uh, she introduces him to Sir Malcolm Murray, played by Timothy Dalton, who certainly played James Bond in two films, and even appeared in The End of Time as a Time Lord. Yes, that's right. Yep. Um, and he's been, he, he was in the, um, we watched Shaun of the Dead uh, last summer. Okay. Uh, the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost then made another movie called uh, Super Fuzz, Hot Fuzz, sorry, Hot Fuzz, and Timothy Dalton was the uh, kind of the, the nemesis in that one. Oh, okay. Well, so um, so Vanessa Ives is is teamed up with Sir Malcolm Murray, and he's the father of a recently abducted daughter, Mina, and thus begins the search for Sir Malcolm's daughter. And, and so we think that's what this, this show is going to be about, the search for his daughter. Well, it is, but we see them infiltrate a vampire nest in search of Mina. Uh, they find and kill a vicious vampire, later enlisting... Uh, a local doctor named Victor Frankenstein, uh, and he examines the body. The autopsy reveals hieroglyphics etched beneath its skin, which are later found to be from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And then, unable to process everything he's seen, Ethan takes his payment, leaves Vanessa and Malcolm's service, but's later tempted to return. Later in his laboratory, Frankenstein brings to life a dead body. So what we have, basically, is a supernatural abduction tale placed side by side with literary elements from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, the real life Jack the Ripper murders that terrorized London in 1888. Kind of like gothic. Yeah. And, and I like the, the way they're, they're taking these, you know, these pieces and they're, they're kind of making them their own to uh, tell this tale of dread and horror as they search for his, her daughter, which, you know, we kind of learn she's, we think, caught between two worlds. And so there's certainly supernatural elements. All right. So the second episode was called Seance, appeared uh, May 18th. Sir Malcolm offers his assistance with the Ripper case. Uh, so in the background, we, you know, we do have the Jack the Ripper uh, murders taking place. Uh, he proclaims that they should be looking for a beast, not a man. All right, so Ethan befriends Brona Croft, a sickly prostitute who later has an erotic encounter with a seductive and charming Dorian Gray, and who plays Brona Croft but Billy Piper from Doctor Who as well. So we've nice. got uh, a companion, we've got a Time Lord, and now we've got the Dorian Gray story kind of integrated into uh, the overall arc. All right, so Vanessa and Malcolm attend Ferdinand Lyle's party 
Vanessa meets Dorian, two are drawn to each other. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I guess par for the course at this time, you know, the, the, the guests take part in a seance. Vanessa apparently is possessed by evil spirits. We, I mean, there's no indication that she's faking it and it freaks everybody out for sure. And through her, and remember she's working with Sir Malcolm through her, whoever this entity inside her is accuses Malcolm of leaving his son to die. Well, we'd only heard about his daughter at this point. Uh, the next day, Ferdinand studies the other photographed hieroglyphics and discovers that they are a resurrection spell invoking Amunet and Amun-Ra. And if you bring those two together, you're going to bring about the apocalypse. And then lastly, Victor, um, he chooses a name for his new creation. He calls him Proteus. And one of the things that we see in, in the series with with uh, the Frankenstein storyline is that, I, and I, I don't even want to call it a monster. I mean, that's pretty much Mary Shelley uh, esque Frankenstein here. Let's call it his creation because he does become intelligent. You know, he does. Well, that's, I mean, you read Frankenstein, right? Yeah, sure. Right. Cause I mean, in the book, he is an intelligent being. He's actually a Superman, right? He's stronger and smarter than regular humans. Uh, but just he looks grotesque because he was constructed of different body parts. Um, but most people think of Frankenstein as being the, you know, the, was it Bela Lugosi, right? Or Boris Karloff, I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, you know, the, rrr, 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 friend, good, you know. It's yep. like, no, that's not at all what the, yep. the creation was yep. like. So, yeah. But uh, so I'm definitely, you know, five stars, four stars, whatever the top is for, uh, uh, for Penny Dreadful, I'm definitely, I've seen the third episode. I'll, I'll talk about episodes three and four next time. And, uh, you know, just really, really awesome show. I mean, if you're into that, I mean, it is, it is pretty gruesome. There is a lot of blood. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. And it's definitely not for young children. That's for sure. Well, it does have the word dreadful in the title. So that should yeah, kind of like, yeah. you know, kind of maybe shy away the people. And, and it refers to, I guess, at the time, the penny dreadful you you paid a penny for the story and so i guess they, whether they were magazines or you know i guess gotcha. precursors of graphic novels or or whatever but uh between the uh violence which is pretty graphically presented and the sex scenes which are also pretty graphically presented that's definitely not for not for kids so uh anyway so next week we'll uh, be talking about our shows. I think Wayne will not be talking about under the dome, but, not, but not uh, I'll be talking it. about Penny Dreadful and uh, we're not sure yet. At I this get point. caught up in uh, Penny Dreadful and uh, defiance. I think, well, let's talk about birds of prey episode nine, nature of the beast, which aired December 18th, 2002 guest star, Mitch Pelegi, who played Walter Skinner, who was one of those characters that when we first saw him, you know, you're looking at me I'm, like, I'm you don't remember who I'm he searching, is. I'm searching their boss. The bald guy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's like he's on like one of those guys, right? Yeah, he's one of those guys that you're always like, who is that? right? And he was in the X Files. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, I said Fringe. You said Fringe. Uh, X Files. Right. X Files. X Files. Yes, yes, right. yes, yes. All right. So he stars as Jesse's father, Al Hawk, who we have already met before, but uh, right. he, he's now got a new face. Who, who is, but it's funny because like both those guys are like guys who are in like. Tons and tons of, and we mentioned this when we talked about the previous episode, 
how that the actor who plays dad is you recognize him though you don't know his name and you can't really even remember where you saw him like just because he's ubiquitous he's just been so many things and i think the dude from the x-files is the same thing like i know you know who he is because you know you love the x-files but most people say who is that dude i've seen him and you have you've seen him in loads of things you know so it's just funny that they replaced the, the previous guy was another guy who's like just that same type of actor. You yeah, know? yeah, and, and certainly the quintessential character actor. Um, so he's got a new face journeyman actor. after the explosion slash plastic surgery of a previous yeah. episode. So you wonder like what's the real reason why the, the, the dude who played before couldn't do it again, you know, because that's like, that's, that is a, to say a, you know, a plot point from left field, that is, uh, to say the least. Right? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing would be, you know, look, we got no, we've talked about the dearth of information about this show. Who knows? I mean, we're certainly right. not going to find that on the internet. Well, I'm sure the guy just got another gig. You know? yeah. He's like, ah, you know, listen, I, I got another gig. This is actually, I'm going to be in four episodes of this show. So, all right. Um, now, you know, you talked about, um, <clears throat> possible themes but the one that kind of struck me because it, it get mentioned several times is this whole theme of commitment you know the the, the assassin right the wall walker right. it's not in my nature to quit indecision is a weakness and then you know the whole idea of dinah just being obsessed with avenging her mother's death and you know that, that i mean it's certainly a commitment of another type I mean, we talked about it last week is just that obsession is can be directed into good things like when sometimes your work at a healthy level but a lot of times obsession can be very unhealthy and can and as we saw last week and you know dinah really has to pull herself back it's only you know she kind of saves herself and barbara helps but when she realizes yeah i'm, I'm going too far you know i need to pull myself back a little bit and you know kind of regain my humanity here instead of just being so obsessed yeah and i think the thing that i also found interesting is that that you know rachel scarston who plays dinah and and is playing a 16 year old in the show and is only 16 when this was filmed she just seems so much older in this episode and you know i don't know if it's the anger if it's the rage if it's you know the vengefulness that that makes her seem older but but she really does well i think always when you have you know, actors who you assume the actors must be fairly mature to, to, you know, like even if she was literally 16, she, she had to be a pretty mature person in order to just have the responsibilities of doing the job. Right. Yep. Um, and so probably you have difficulties really with teenagers portraying like actual teenagers because it's still like a professional person doing it and everything. So no, yeah. just a thought. No, but yeah, no, I, agree I agree with you. you. I agree that, that she does. we, we forget that she's supposed to be playing a sixteen-year-old because she does seem older. Yeah, because last week she was going to the high school dance. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, like Game of Thrones. You know, like Jon Snow and uh, Rob Stark at the beginning of it are supposed to be the fourteen-year-old boys, and like, yeah, you know, you just that look, right? Like, really? <laughs> like, because they got like full beards and everything, they look like pretty mature for fourteen, right? Yeah. All right. So anyway, so one of the stories we've got going on is is. Uh, you know, we talked about Al Hawk being back with a new face, but his protege, Frankie Spitz, he wants to take him out and take control of the organization. So, you know, we've got that one storyline and, and the, you know, it was interesting, you know, the opening scene there we see, uh, or we, it seems as if Hawk wants to merge with the Petrov family. I like the, uh, 
um, no stereotyping there with yeah. the Russian mafia and no. the well, Italian. At first, like, like, what are those accents supposed to be? And then they're like, oh, vodka. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, I guess they're supposed to be Russians. Then. Right. So they're meeting where else in an Italian restaurant. Um, <laughs> can you say just, just, TV trope? Right. Um, and then the gunmen shoot up the place. They realize it's a setup, but too late. Uh, Jesse shows up because the owner tipped him off. And of course, if he shows up, we know Huntress is not going to be far behind because she was tracking Hawk. Yeah, sure you were, dear. Yeah, right. yeah. Not not actually picking him up, grabbing him and taking him back to the cops. It's just tracking him. Yeah. Um, now, I thought it was kind of interesting in this scene because we're, we're waiting for, you know, the little you know, sexual banter to take place. And it doesn't at all. In fact, you know, the next thing you know, He's leaving and says, yeah, if you find anything out, keep me posted. And I was like, whoa. And, and she kind of like was, whoa. Yeah. Hey, where's our banter that we yeah. usually do at this point in the show? Yeah. You know, and then the whole thing with her, I, I mean, they've already kind of stretched it a little bit by getting us to believe that this total other guy is Hawk. And then like the place gets completely shot up. None of the bad guys figures to come in and like, you know, finish the job and everything they just shoot it up and of course the guy that they're aiming for doesn't die nor does the guy who as well as the guy who hired him him, who's like in the room with him so it seems like a pretty bad plan altogether in the first place right but i think that's one of those things we accept in this show well we accept it because it's bad guys in television shows are like stormtroopers they just for some reason these guys just cannot shoot to save their life. Well, okay, all right. Well, anyway, so so we find out that Frankie he's not happy. Hires a new assassin who we quickly learn is metahuman himself. He can walk through walls. That's helpful. Yes, it is helpful, and we've seen that before. Right? Again, I I think that was Fringe, right? Those guys that they did something to. Oh, oh, well, David they- Jones. Right, he he could de- dematerialize and then recombine on the other something. Yeah, yeah, and then there there was actually that one where the guys could they change the molecules in the wall that you could walk through it. Right, and then you know like getting out the one the one guy got stuck. Is, right, is, and is, we saw that there. in tonight's episode as well. Right, which is great, like little Star Wars homage there because you know you saw like even his hands were just like Han Solo frozen in carbonite. You know? Right, right. So, uh, all right. Well, the next thing we see, you know, uh, one of uh, Hawk's thugs drives Jesse to see his father, and we're led to believe that Al wants to reconcile with his son. Tells him he's tired of the organized crime life, wants to get out. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I guess at first I'm thinking like, well, he sounds sincere, even brings his mother, you know, I, you know, I, you know mom wants me to, to retire and all that. And, and Jesse says, look, I came for mom's sake, not yours. Jesse's probably more skeptical than I was at the beginning. Yeah. And, but the, the fact that he kind of goes along with it, at first I had like some issues with, because I'm like, that is not in character for Jesse, for him to let something go right yeah and just say ah okay dad i know you've just broken out of prison but you say you're gonna go straight so hey let's let's i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna turn my back like wait a second that doesn't make sense though but then when his dad says i'll turn state's evidence you say okay now that makes sense because that's what a cop would do right sure good cops i mean the the that's how our legal system works is uh when you make deals and and plea bargains and stuff like that so that makes sense so the next thing then we see uh, Jesse activate the bat ring, which he seems to do once per episode. 
and Hunter shows up, realizes what's going on, and now the dilemma arises because she wants to bring in Hawk to avenge the death of Black Canary, right? Sure. Um, Jesse, probably a little bit because he wants to believe his father has changed, is uh, you know reticent to do that. No, he's going to turn state's evidence, so you got to let me. But either way, isn't Al Hawk going to be in police custody? So what's the big deal? Right. I mean, if he's, he's either in Jesse's custody or he's in Huntress's custody, who we know, I mean, we know she's not going to kill him. Right, but wasn't she just going to take him back to like official police custody? Like if he, when he's with Jesse, he's not really in police custody, right? Yeah. Like no. He's not back in jail. He's, he's still, as far as the authorities are concerned, right. he's still free. Right. But if Jesse's promising witness protection, I mean, it's going to have to go to a higher power than. Yeah. So I don't know. that is very, yeah, you're right. It's unclear. Yeah, and again, uh, not that there aren't plot holes in this series. I mean, we overlook them because there's so many other good, uh, you know, good right. things. But she goes through the whole thing. Well, what aren't you telling me? And we realize that she just now finds out that Al Hawk is Jesse's father, which was pretty right. Which was a right. pretty cool reveal. Uh, which yeah. I mean, we knew, but we forgot because there was quite a few episodes. I mean, what episode well, we didn't was know that? that she didn't know. Yeah, we knew that. Because oh. we only we only got the information at the very end of that episode. Oh right, right, right. Yes, and right. I would I would assume that Jesse would not have because they're playing this whole, you know, you tell me or and I'll tell you know like like right. they're playing this whole game of trusting each other. So I don't think he would have told her. But I had forgotten mm-hmm. uh, until that point that yeah she didn't know. Yeah. Well, the the other thing, you know, we we keep mentioning it seems each week this whole uh do you like me? Do you know, I like you. Do you like me? You know, that whole thing. And it, uh, the you know, I think the writers must have finally realized, all right, well, we got to throw something out there to the uh, viewers. Um Al Hawk realizes right away that Huntress is meta human. Your girlfriend, she's one of them. She's not my girlfriend. Yeah, and they <laughs> say that like four either one uh, or the other of them says it like Four times yeah, this, yeah. this whole episode. Right. Um, and then the question, you know, that that we start asking, is he just conning Jesse with this whole I'm proud of you son routine? And and the answer is, of course, we find out, yes. Well, I don't or, know or, if he was conning him per se. You, you know, think he I, changed his mind I, at I the end of the episode? I think you know, how like sometimes you have good intentions, right? You're like, okay, okay this is what I, I want. I can't go on with the life I did before. This is my option. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn state's evidence. And then the, as he considers it more and when he gets close to the time of actually having to do it, it's like, you know, I really don't want to do that. Like when I said it at first, I did kind of want to do it, but now not. So I don't think he's, I don't think he's conning him the whole way. And that, mm. that whole thing, I, I, that's the one part of this episode I, I just didn't like was that, that father-son chat and that whole, like, let's share our thoughts and our feelings and everything. It's just like, really, you know, that, that, just not that it's unrealistic because of course it's television. It's not supposed to be realistic. I'm just saying it's it's very cliche and sentimental and what's the word? Maudlin is the word yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, even going along with that, it was the scene where Jesse tells Huntress about the the story of how he decided not to follow in his father's footsteps, and he talks about how you know as a as a teenager, you know he's out driving his dad's car i think he implies that some drinking and other teenage hijinks have been going on they get pulled over um the cop wants to see in the trunk he opens the trunk and there's blood everywhere and 
The cop's ready to take him in, sees his name on the license, and then the cop apparently freaks out, hands him his license back, and drives away. Yeah, right. Which, I, I like this story, but on the other hand, wouldn't he ask for the license first? Um. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, this is New Gotham City, though. Yeah, like most cops, I think. At least every, every single time I've been pulled over, the first thing that the cops said was, could I see your license and registration? Right. And, so, and you know. Not, could you open your trunk to see if I, there's a blood in it? And I'm not going to say this line I find cringeworthy, but when he says, maybe I'm just trying to find justice, justice for whoever was in that trunk. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, anyway, uh, you know, after starting to find some things out, uh, who he's up against, Frankie tries to call off the hit after Reese and Helena talk to him. But hey, the hitman's committed. Yep. He well, he did say that right from the start. He yeah. he clearly delineated that once you. I think he even said, "Are you sure?" Like he even gave him like yeah. a second chance. Are you sure? Because once I'm on this thing. I don't, you know, I'm not going to step off of everything, which, you know, like he was a pretty cool menacing character. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was great. He got yeah. his ass kicked all the time. Yeah. Like, does he not like lift a little bit? Like, great. You can walk through walls, but if you're going to be a hitman, you need to establish other skills besides walking through walls, like not getting beaten up after you get through the wall, because there's like, it seems like he spends a lot of time. Like he, he gets is you know he just gets smacked around yeah you would think well the you know again it seemed to be an episode where people are revealing things about their past um you know jesse questions whether someone would just up and change and huntress comes in and tells a story about her mother catwoman right who again sometimes it's easy to forget catwoman was a bad guy girl i mean she uh yeah okay um i mean not the most evil i mean not right. joke she was a criminal evil. Yeah, she was a cr- criminal but upon uh helena's birth she decided to give it up and she was committed to that and she didn't falter so right. she she did change which is strange because we don't think of huntress as necessarily someone who would believe that actually but you know obviously because she talks about her mom then it seems like something she's definitely you know something she believes from the from her heart you know yeah yeah now um dinah's revenge kind of takes up the other part of this episode uh helen tells barbara that reese uh seemed to believe that hawk wasn't among the dead mobsters maybe it's personal for him because hawk escaped on his watch and and all of that but dinah kind of walks in and they're doing that sketch of hawk they lie to her about his identity <laughs> says he's a shoe thief yeah. <laughs> Blonics, Todd's. Manolo Blonic. No, really? They're six hundred to twelve hundred dollar shoes. Okay. That yeah. would explain why I have no clue yeah. what that is. Um she doesn't believe them. Really? You don't believe that there's a shoe thief out there? We see Dinah got a new comm set, which I guess is is kind of like what your uh membership card to the group so right. uh you get the official the right. necklace you get the choker right and it looks better on me than it does on you helena um yeah i don't know Not about that so much you're right um but we also find out she's been obsessing over hawk since he escaped and you understand why they're reluctant to tell her that hawk is back yeah and obviously it's, it's only it, it there is some slight comedy there right because you know like i said it's it, this show plays it kind of fast and loose but there 
aren't as many, especially now, it seems to be getting more serious and, and less uh, flat-out comedic moments. But it's kind of funny when, you know, like she tries to cover up. Obviously, they don't want Diana to know because when she knows, she's going to go ballistic. And right now, they know she's not in very good control of her herself and her powers yeah, as it is yeah. anyway. Right, and we see the scene where she's getting mad and everything starts shaking, and, and even Barbara's a little concerned. Yeah. Um, but They're like, we need to find like a padded room to keep you in or something. Well, yeah. Because she's dangerous. But Dinah does learn that Hawk's back and is Reese's father, and then accuses Helen of protecting him because Reese is her boyfriend. No, but no then chance she, for her to deny that. But, but, yeah, but remember she says, boyfriends don't hide important things. So, you know, it, it's still there's that trust issue that we've been talking about right. since episode one between the two of yeah, them. There's a big overarching theme of the entire show, no question yeah. about it. Right. And then she gets angry. And like we said, everything starts shaking. Um, and that it, it just seems as if Hawk's death is the only thing that's going to satisfy her. And then, you know, again, we bring up the, um, I think it's Barbara that brings up the, the whole idea of don't let vengeance get in the way of finishing your mother's work. Right, and that uh, doesn't impact her at all. She symbolically takes off her comms, throws them on the counter there, or whatever it was, and then she's out, presumably to track down Al Hawk. Yeah, I also like that kind of also with that cautionary, you know, be careful of your power. There's also that, you know, Barbara assuring her that she is very powerful when she's, you know, dying. If you want someone dead, He'd be dead, right? Because she's yeah. concerned, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm gonna, I, I could have killed him, and she's basically saying, "Well, you could have, you didn't, you chose not to, so you are in control." Right, and and it's almost as if she doesn't. I mean, she is in control. It's almost she doesn't realize she's in control. So it's almost subconsciously she's not a killer. All right. Well, Dinah finally raises the question to Helena. You know, tell me, you wouldn't do it. You know, if you were in my position, right? If it was your mother and you had a chance to take out your mother's killer, tell me you wouldn't do it. And and Helena tells her the truth. You're right. I probably would, but yeah. that doesn't make it right. <laughs> yeah, it's not right. Though, yes, I would do the exact same thing you're doing. Yep. Um, yeah. Now the the you remember the scene with the butcher knife? Yes. Where she's getting she's talking to her and right. and and right. It, it nicks her shoulder. Yeah. 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 I guess she doesn't need stitches, but she definitely needs a bandage. Well, I, I assume she heals, you know, oh, she, metahuman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that whole line about dealing with demons is never easy. And and I don't know. I mean, it, it's almost as if Dinah has more demons than, than either of the other two. I mean, Barbara's kind of come to terms with her demons. Sure, right. We saw that, yeah, last episode. Helena also seems to be doing okay with her demons. She's been in therapy for quite some time now. Right. So she's been... Working through those issues, uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with you. Now that uh, right now, Dinah is uh, has the most subtext to her. I guess. And speaking of um, therapy, we haven't seen Doctor Q in a few episodes. That's I've, I've been. That's was my next project. X. I'm planning on doing Doctor Quinzel, but uh, she has not been in there for a, well, quite, quite a while. Yeah. Well, um, what are we on episode nine? So uh, yeah, a again, we're watching these as we go. So neither of us has seen anything past episode right. nine. So what do we got? 10, 11, 12, 13, four to go. She's got to be in most of them. You would yeah. think, I mean, after all, it is her plan to take over right. Gotham exactly. city. Exactly. Um, so maybe again, maybe uh, 
who is it? Uh, Mia, Mia Sarah. You know, maybe she got uh, you know another gig somewhere else doing. I don't know. Whatever. You know, um, I I saw. I don't know if you saw this, but the original unaired pilot. I think it's Laura Flynn Boyle was playing uh, Doctor Quinzel. Really? Yeah. Huh. But uh, you know, obviously they. I guess they didn't like didn't like how she was doing there or something. Well, we'll have to, whether we end up talking about the unaired pilot, we'll definitely watch it. Oh, then. we'll definitely watch it. Yeah. 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 We'll Question talk about, about it to ourselves and yeah. And then we'll, maybe we'll mention it, yeah, make it we'll a project X maybe or something. So, all right. And then the kind of the last storyline, you know, small, but, but they got to stop this hitman somehow, right? They got to stop the wall right. walker. And, right. and, and Barbara's idea of unspreading his molecules sounds absolutely preposterous. Like I have to figure out some way to unspread his molecules. It's like, really? Yeah, but those, how long is that going to take? Yeah, but those sciency programs she ran on her computer. <laughs> I mean, come on. I know it's just silly. Well, that, anyway. that, it was funny though when she scraped some DNA off Huntress's ring and it's like, yeah. ooh, yeah, that was gross. You know, it's what he does. I don't know what you know. Is it sort of like the Enterprise beaming capabilities? I mean, we're not exactly sure. She, like you said, she kind of describes it in these preposterous terms but yeah you know I, i'm not even gonna start because I, I was never spectacular at science to but you know it seems like the whole idea is he can why he can get can't get through the lead is because lead is so dense right that he can't spread his molecules enough to actually get through the lead so he has to go through things like wood and everything right. which again makes his ability seem much less threatening than it was in the beginning of the right but that was a pretty cool pretty cool ending the yeah. way she led them down you right. know she's got the blueprints of the building and and of course the abandoned hospital just happens to be unlocked yeah right mm-hmm. and it actually has like hospital and still lit up yeah. over it and yeah. like okay so this is an abandoned hospital but someone's still paying the electric bills here all and right. it's unlocked yep all right so closing scene everything's calm jesse tells his dad everything's been set up and he should call mom pack some things and that's when dad backs out and, and well you, and about see, that. Right. So I think you and I disagree. I, I think he figured that was his plan all along. You, you think he just maybe changed his mind. Yeah. I, I, again, it's, I, I, I don't think there's really hard evidence either way. The evidence that there, there would probably support your uh, theory much more than mine, but it just mm-hmm. seemed to me that I, I, it seemed like he, he honestly believed it. And then yeah. even at the end, because at the end it wasn't like, ha 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 tricked you. You know, yeah. it's, it's more like a, well, you know, I really kind of thought about it. And so, you know, he yeah. probably thought, well, you know, I really don't think I'm going to want to do this. But I think at the time, maybe he thought, okay, this might be, you know, the best thing. Uh, he says he's out of crime for good. I'll be out of your life. You're a good son. They shake hands and then. Yeah. <laughs> just, yep. Well, and, and yeah, that, that was the point where I was really like, dude, if Jesse lets him go, that would be complete BS because that would be totally and completely out of character, which is you know, what I alluded to before. Um, like, there's no way that Jesse can let him go. He's a cop. This is an escaped criminal. Yeah, it's your dad. Really? You're going to let him go? And there was a time, there, you know, for a moment there, I, I wasn't sure whether he was going to, you know, I thought he was going to let him go. Yeah. No, I agree. Yep. Um, and... You know, the, the whole thing that came up before when Dinah tells Helena, you know, tell me you wouldn't have done the same. And Helena admits to Dinah that, that you know, she, number one, she's really proud of her and she doesn't know if she could have done the same thing. In fact, not only doesn't she kill Al Hawk, she protects him, Dinah, that is. Right. 
Um, which and, which again new, shows you know a you know strong evolution in in, in her character there. Right? Yeah, and, and newfound respect for her. Um, but then at the end, and I really like the the way they segued from the you know the the kind of serious um, into the fun. Yeah, Dinah, I like calling it the buddy stroll. Dinah tells Helena that my comm set looks better on me than you. Everybody says so, except for maybe your boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend. So again, all right. Uh, now the the one line I, I did I, I wrote it down. I didn't know how to work it in there, but uh, I think one of the best lines in the show is Frankie. Did you ever consider that you might be too stupid to run a major crime family? Yeah, yeah that was a good line. <laughs> um, yeah, but, well, and, uh, I was like, okay, wait. Frankie is organizing the hit. Like he's the guy we just saw. I'm like, how does Al get to be like this big mob guy and not know that? his you know main guy wants him dead and then of course he did know all along you have to be pretty thick not to be able to figure out who was the guy who arranged that the the meeting in the restaurant and everything yeah you would think but uh, all right anything else about this episode um just the one scene which i thought was it was very like kind of funny and and well done well written is where helena says basically well you know, it's hard to imagine that Jesse and Al in the same family. And he goes, oh, yeah. my mother's black. And she's like, no, that's not what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. I mean, like, you're a cop. He's the bad guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it was just funny how they, they yeah, did that. that actually, that was one of my favorite lines. I forgot about that one. Yeah, that was a good one. All right, cool. Um, all right, well, listen, we'll be back next week to talk about episode 10. And I'll tweet out what uh, shows we're going to take a look at in our uh, – quick takes episode uh, i'll certainly be talking about penny dreadful and you'll probably be talking about falling skies and the leftovers yes okay um and and i think our plan is to probably work up to where we're each talking about three shows uh each time for a total of six and then in addition to whatever the major show but you know we'll revisit it as we go along yes all right well you can drop us a line at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com. Check out the website, fatalist.podbean.com. And uh, you can use the tab at the right side of the page if you want to leave us a message. That's our speak pipe tab. Um, as I mentioned, I'll post on Twitter what shows we're planning to do week to week. And we'd appreciate if you can continue accessing us. I you know, said to Wayne before, I assumed everybody or at least most people were accessing us through iTunes. Well, some newly um, revealed statistics prove that's maybe not true. So uh, either way, until next time. You know, Dave, indecision is a weakness. I don't tolerate it. Or maybe I do. <laughs>